Okay, welcome to another episode of Between Two Jerk Blocks. We, I'm sitting here this time with uh, Coach Joey Custody and Hello. a new voice. This guy's name is Andrew Bolter. You probably have not seen his face before. He's a good friend of Joey's, uh, but both of them are in the sport performance world. And, and so that's what we're going to be talking about today. We want to... Um, we want to just give you a little bit of education around the difference between CrossFit and, uh, training for sport. There's a lot of overlap and there's also a completely different way of doing that. And so these guys are going to talk and I'm going to facilitate through that, but because you guys don't know, um, Andrew Bolter, I will just, uh, I'm going to let him just introduce himself and, uh, talk just a little bit about his, his background and, and why he's sitting here with us. So Andrew. Well, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I'll give you guys just a quick rundown. So I have a bachelor's of science in psychology and I've started my own LLC, uh, Vital Pursuit Athletics, coming up on 10 years ago. Um, I have worked with a variety of different athletes and clients, general population. Um, so I've done work with everybody spanning from people that just want to keep up with their kids. Um, and age gracefully all the way to professional golfers to really high level, uh, high school basketball players and kind of everything in between. Um, so it's been fun to see how certain sports performance, um, applications can be used with all those different populations. Okay. Um, if by the end of this podcast, you're feeling like, wow, I really like this guy's voice. Uh, I want to work with him. Where where would we even find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at vital underscore pursuit underscore athletics, or you can go to my website, which is vitalpursuit.co.co. Um, those are the two easiest places to get a hold of me. You can find my email on there and shoot me an email. And we can connect. All right, cool. So Joey, um, I even though. I'm sure everybody knows you so well. We, why don't you just go through your sport performance background real quickly, just in case people didn't listen to your last podcast. Yeah. So uh, I went to school for exercise science, um, played football, college for years. Um, I got the pleasure to uh, intern with some awesome strength coaches. Uh, Cal Dietz is one of them. Um, my strength coach is a really well-known or in college is really well-known strength coach, um, really good friends with Cal Dietz is who I got, well, how I got the opportunity to do that. Um, got my CSCS. Um, and then right out of college, just kind of really wanted to go hard on pursuing sports performance. So I did, uh, strength conditioning. I was a strength conditioning coach at Catalyst Sports Medicine in Hudson. Um, and then after that, I, you know, I just didn't want to jump through all the, I decided I did not want to go be a grad assistant. I didn't want to jump through all the kind of political loopholes and, um, decided I wanted to pursue personal training and, uh, did that. That's when I started working with you. Yep. And, uh, and then I kind of found CrossFit. Right. And then I really dove, dove deep into that. I got competitive with that. And then I kind of lost my, I wouldn't say passion. I just didn't do much with sports performance. Right. Like I still trained some athletes when I was at lifetime, but that wasn't, where my passion was at that time. And now I'm, you know, over the last probably say 
year and a half or two, I've been kind of, that's been a new fire of mine of wanting to just work with athletes and something that I really, really enjoy specifically youth athletes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's my background there. So let's, um, let's do a little bit of education for, for these people. What is, what truly is the difference between how do you train athletes for a sport differently than let's say a bodybuilding sport, a CrossFit sport, uh, let's, we can leave out aesthetic necessarily, right? Cause that, I think it's fairly obvious, but, but how do you, how do you think about that differently? Yeah. So I think it, it, I think it's different depending on the age, right? That's first and foremost is if you're looking at a youth athlete versus a professional elite athlete, that's going to be completely different training style. Um, but you know, I'm going to, I'll start with youth athlete. I think you need to hit a couple pieces in a training session, right? You need to train all along that force velocity curve. Um, and doing so by doing that, you need to do some sprinting, right? Cause a lot of athletes, a, a lot of kids, unless they're in track, aren't actually doing max effort sprints in their sport, right? Um, do some jumping extensive plyometrics, right? And intensive plyometrics, right? So intensive is more max effort, right? And, and, and extensive would be just repetitive, lower, intensity plyometrics. So those are, those are things that I hit right away, right? So typical session would be like, we're going to do some sort of, maybe it's an acceleration day and we're going to do some acceleration work. Then we're going to do some, you know, a max approach jump, go as high as you can. And then we're going to hit a couple strength pieces, right? So by doing that, you know, you do some sprinting, you do some jumping, you hit, hit some strength work, you're training all along that force velocity curve. Um, and then we kind of end with some isometrics or some mobility, dynamic mobility, stuff like that. Um, I'll, I'll briefly touch on the force velocity curve, um, just so people have a general understanding of what that is. So at the top of that curve, you have max strength at the bottom of that curve, you have max velocity and there is, so if you think max strength, we're looking at a max out of a barbell, mm -hmm. right? And that might take three seconds, yeah, right? I'm going to move slow. That's going to move slow max velocity, you're looking at a, four, let's call it hundred meter dash, right? And most sports, mo most sporting sport movements, right? Sprinting, change direction, throwing happen at the end of that curve, right? So if all you're doing is max strength work, depending on the, the, the level of the athlete foundation, kind of all the other stuff that they're doing, that might actually hurt them in the long run, if you're doing too much of that, right? Sure. So just, just having a, a, a good layout of making sure you're hitting all those pieces, mm -hmm. um, in a program. Yeah. And then I would say the same thing goes into high school, college level athletes, and also elite athletes. You want to also make sure that you're training along that curve as well, right? Sure. A lot of these elite, elite athletes, these NFL guys are already really strong, right? They're squatting two and a half times their body weight, three and a half times their body weight they don't need to touch max strength much, right? Uh, I don't know, Christian McCaffrey is a good example that I use is like a lot of his workouts in the off season, all track workouts, he sprints, he jumps, you know, does a lot of extensive plyos, a lot of mobility. Um, and he's arguably the best player in the NFL right now, right? Yeah. So, um, I mean, arguably, yeah. But like, So yeah, that's just kind of hitting all those pieces, yeah. I think are very, very important in a training session. Um, if you're training someone one-on-one, -on -one, right? When you're training in groups, you can be a little bit more uh, unique or with, or uh, what's the word I'm looking for? 
yeah, unique with your training because you're working with groups of athletes. So you mm-hmm. can play games and you can uh, add constraints and things like that, that allow them that put them in a environment that's going to let them be an simula- athlete, let them be an athlete and simulate <laughs> yeah. their, their sport. Right. Yeah. Um, one thing I think I'm going on a tangent here, but oh, this is my last piece. One thing I think a lot of uh, coaches sometimes get too far, too far at one end of the spectrum, right? Too far with like very structured training and or too far of just like, I'm going to let my athletes play, right? And no matter what you're doing in the gym, you are not going to be able to simulate their sport. Yep. No matter how, no matter how hard you try, yeah. right? Whether you're doing, you know, letting them play games with your, with a bunch of your other kids, or you're doing very structured training, right? It's not going to, it's not going to simulate a football game or a basketball game, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was my tangent on there. So biggest thing, just touch on all the pieces of that force velocity curve, do some sprinting, do some, some jumping, hit a couple strength pieces, mm-hmm. um, do some mobility or isometrics at the end and call it a day. Yeah. I'll Good let, uh, let oh. Andrew speak uh, here. Do you, Bolter, if you, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can add a little bit. Cause I, think... I can, I can ask you a follow-up question instead if you. I mean, I'll, let me add a couple of things Great. to that. I, I think Joey covered a lot of the big rocks there. <clears throat> like he said, like the goal is sports performance. So you, you really want to kind of attenuate some of those sports qualities, jumping, sprinting, uh, quickness off the ground, things like that, which may not be the focus if you're training for CrossFit or something else. Again, the, the goal of the training is really important. Um, and to that effect, you know, I think another piece that's overlooked in training athletes, and Joey alluded to this a little bit, um, is their ability to solve problems um, and their ability to be adaptable and robust. Um, obviously, that's expressed in other styles of training, but for athletes, they need to be able to perceive and react quickly on the field or on the court. Um, so creating uh, training environments that facilitate that, you're a lot of times I'm, I'm now kind of thinking of myself more as like a problem setter. I'm creating environments that are, are having athletes need to solve problems in different ways, um, which encourages kind of this unique expression. I'm not overly saying this is the positions you need to hit. It's kind of, here's this problem. Let me see how you solve it. Mm-hmm. Um, which has been really good for improving their ability to perceive and react on the field. Uh, so I think that that is important. Um, And the last thing I'll add is that, you know, I think a lot of us as strength and conditioning coaches, we get into this because we love the weight room. We love, you know, whatever it is, cleans or what we we like being in the weight room, moving weights, uh, doing that kind of stuff. And we have to recognize that a lot of our athletes don't love that. This is kind of like one of their, like, they know they need to do it and it's going to improve their game, but like, they don't want to be here. Mm -hmm. So finding the minimum effective dose for the athletes and keeping them emotionally engaged, I think is really important. Um, we just don't want to lose sight that the fact that strength and conditioning probably is the lowest thing on the totem pole. Like if, if they're crunch for time, you know, if the basketball coach is crunch for time, like the first thing that's getting cut is strength and conditioning. So remembering that and being effective with your time, I think is really important. Yeah. What are, what are some primary things that you consider in like developing a program for, yeah. uh, and, and we're talking about kids here. I mean, yep. we're, cause we are not, we do not have NFL players here that yeah. we're training. Right. So, so ultimately we're talking about, uh, mid collegiate and younger. Yep. So 
what is the thing what are the things that you consider in developing a training program yeah so, so i mean kind of building off of some of the things i touched on before is especially for youth athletes let's say all the way up to the collegiate level like making sure that there is um that they are at kind of that strong enough threshold and what you know i think people can argue till they're blue in the face about what those thresholds are but if you have a kid coming in and they can't do 10 push-ups like probably they should work on that a little bit um but again minimum effective dose to get them there um but for me it's been really important to get um like emotional buy-in and um yeah kind of getting the kids into a um into a psychological state where they are ready to perform at a level that's closer to what they see in their sports. I have a lot of these basketball kids where before I had changed some of my strategies, they'd come in and we go through our stuff and they were just so disengaged and they weren't getting much out of it. I wasn't getting a lot out of it. We are all feeling kind of dissatisfied. And then <laughs> one day I was just like, let's go, go to the courts and you guys just play like 21 to warm up. And like the emotional buy-in went way up and their engagement way, went way up. And then they worked out way harder in our strength training uh, piece of the session. So that kind of got my wheels turning. I'm like, okay, I need to change something here to get the emotional piece there. So uh, a lot of times that's some sort of interactive warm-up where the kids are actually having to negotiate with each other. Most sports are contact sports, whether they intend to be or not. Basketball is a good example. It's a pretty physical sport even though it's not expressly a, um, a contact sport. So getting kids to know how to interact with each other and get warm and um, in a way that's engaging and gets them ready for kind of some of the harder work later is really important. Um, I also try to foster a lot of like friendly competition. Um, and, and I think that's a great, you know, correlation or similarity between CrossFit and sports performance training. I think that that's why CrossFit is so popular is there's a community, but there's also a competitive element so getting the kids to compete, whether it's seeing who's got the highest vert on the jump mat that day or something like that. And all of a sudden they're working a lot harder. They've done more reps maybe um, because they're bought in. Um, and then we get to some, you know, so we'll kind of get them emotionally and neurologically warmed up. We'll do some sort of competition. Then we'll start to do something fast. We'll move fast, whether that's running, jumping, um, something like that. And then we'll finish out with some sort of conditioning circuit, trying to, you know, fill some of those buckets, whether that's push-ups or squatting ability or something like that. But I mean, generally I'm structuring it like that. Nice, engaging, warm up, fast, powerful stuff early on when they have the energy for it. And then working on some of the strength and, uh, you know, motor qualities later in the workout. So that, that, that's a typical session for you that's a pretty typical okay. yeah group session individual sessions can be a yeah. little bit different obviously because yeah. you can really cater to a particular group but yes in general with a group that's how i'm going to run it joey what's your typical session look like because there is not i mean in in this there are so many right ways yeah right? i so. think um i used to be a very structured coach like we have to you know here's the program we can't move from the program and I think sometimes whether you're training an athlete or you're training general pop, like you have to have the ability to pivot because sometimes these kids are coming in and like, I just had a two hour basketball practice and I'm coming into my training session. Yeah. We probably shouldn't do much jumping today. Right. Or maybe even sprinting because at that point they're fatigued. And if I have them do sprints and jumps, then I'm just training them to be less powerful and less explosive. Mm -hmm. So we might hit a lot of ISOs or some strength work in that session. So 
having a plan is important, but um, being having the ability to pivot based off of the athlete or groups of people that you're working with um, is important. And that really just comes down to knowing your athletes and knowing the group that you're working with. Um, you know, cause to, to Andrew's piece earlier, like that emotional buy-in is, is awesome to have. And if they're coming in every session thinking like, oh, well, coach Joey's just going to crush me. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to come today. Well, that's not creating emotional buy-in, right? So sometimes it's like, Hey, well, they just had a basketball game. Maybe let's play some like low intensity game sure. to start. And then we'll hit a couple conditioning pieces. But if I'm going in a structured plan, just like I said, earlier, we're going to do some sort of sprinting, whether it's acceleration work or top speed work, depending on kind of what we hit that week. Um, Then some sort of max effort jump um, with extensive plyos, obviously with some warmups. And then we hit some strength pieces at the end. So that would be if I'm I'm going into a structured plan, um, that's kind of what I do and then progress that week to week or through different cycles and phases um, based off of what my athletes need and or what's going on with their sports season. Yeah, it's interesting because it that and it sounds like what you're saying is that you also take what you believe to be most important and you transpose that onto your hour. Yeah. If you have an hour with them, right? Yep. Hundred percent. If I end with strength, I'm actually deprioritizing that in sport ultimately, unless as you said, like strength is an issue, right? Um but yeah, if you transpose that on top of your priorities, you're starting with the most important thing, right? Yep. And moving down down the list most often. So, hundred percent, really cool. Um, let's move toward like you talked about a, a little bit about this, but how hard is it to keep kids engaged in this uh, ar- arena that they don't, you know, they're sometimes their parents are making them be there, other times they're not. Right. And they're, they're super bought in, but how do you keep, how do you keep your athletes, uh, having fun and engaged? What are some, what are some tips and tricks that you guys do? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think it's one of the, what I've grown to appreciate is one of the most important pieces. And I kind of uh, was talking about that earlier, but you know, I think one big thing is figuring out what gets the kids excited. And I think different sports just as a general archetype have different motivations what i've like seen in my experience is like basketball players like they just want to play basketball like they want to go out there and they want to play basketball if i was just like what do you guys want to do today every day they'd be like we want to go on the court and shoot Mm -hmm. so just knowing that that is a (laughs) that's a constraint you're working with fine like tennis players they'll show up and they're like i'm ready to work like what's the horrible workout you got for us Mm -hmm. like hopefully there's a bunch of 400 repeats like so knowing your population is really important but Aside from that, uh, keeping them engaged, like I think it's a you have to strike this balance of having uh, games or challenges or things that get them to think creatively and be problem solvers. Uh, because again, that's part of what makes sports sports is there's basically this landscape unfolding in front of you, and you're interacting with that landscape, having to understand, okay, how how am I going to make this happen with my teammates and with with the constraints that are uh, in the environment. So creating opportunities for them to kind of replicate that, at least at some level, um, is a good way to do that. So like I said, in the warmups, a lot of times I'll create an environment that offers a lot of like creativity and problem solving. Like a really easy one is like, I'll put a box out on the turf 
and I'll basically go, all right, guys, like you're all going to go and, and get over this box and go across it as many different ways as you can. And I'll make it a game like whoever's the last one standing wins. Everybody else got to do, you know, a hundred sure. meter sprint or something. Yeah. And you'll see a ton of creativity come out. You'll see kids going over this in ways that I've never seen or never thought of. So just encouraging them to uh, get engaged and get into their body, I think is huge. And once you've done that, usually like they're, they're ready to do some of the hard, more boring traditional work. So then they're ready to do some squats and some, Mm -hmm. some sprints. Uh, So finding that right balance of game and engagement and competition and kind of just nose the grindstone put in the work and it's finding that balance for the cohort you're working with i think is the key so that's what i would say all right joey what do you think yeah um he hit on basically everything that i was going to say i agree with that um but i would i would also just like biggest thing is like understanding the people you're working with right like what do they enjoy doing right and start out with that if they enjoy playing basketball, well then go play 21 with them. If you're working Mm -hmm. with a group, if you're working with someone one-on-one and they really enjoy, you know, I'll use JD, for example, if he, if he wanted to, he would do an approach, uh, hurdle jump jump. every, every time he comes in here. (laughs) Right. So making sure we're hitting that weekly, um, and just implementing things that, you know, your athletes are going to enjoy coming to do. And then also facilitating competition, right? Like, Mm -hmm. Whether it's, hey, one-on-one basis, like I'll tell JD, like, hey, dude, I, I just hit 54 inches today and try to beat that. Or like, you know, can you beat the coach? Or if you're with a group, right? Like who's got the highest vert on the jump pad today? Mm-hmm. Or who's going to have the fastest time, right? Because these kids are playing sports because they want to be competitive, right? So putting that in your training session with your, yeah. whether you're with a group or individuals that allow them to be, be competitive and give them a challenge, right? Don't just be like, okay, well, like that goes back to the piece of like the structure versus not structure. Like, okay, are we, we're going to, we're going to do some box jumps and you're going to do five by five back squat and five by five bench. And we're going to call it a day, right? Super structured versus like, okay, my athlete feels very motivated today. Um, that might be super boring for them. Let's see, let's see how high they can get on a hurdle jump or let's mm-hmm. time their sprints today and see if they can PR, right? So give them a metric to hit and uh have them achieve that and then if you're measuring your athletes right if you're timing them on their sprints and you're um measuring how high they're jumping etc like you can always go back and be like hey if you're feeling really good you think you can beat this can you beat 30 inches on your vertical like heck yeah i can do it let's try it right so that's this ability to pivot like hey i might have a plan but he wants to do this today let's do it right and they're still going to get an awesome great stimulus from that if not even greater stimulus right sure. um he's more engaged for sure yeah I, I just so like i i think also like what joey said there like is really important because what he's basically saying is like it's not coach led all the time like there's a relationship and in fact as you build that relationship with your athlete you're trying to facilitate it actually being athlete led uh it's harder in a group but one-on-one in small groups like Joey has seen those kids come in. He's reading them. He's understanding where they're at that day. And he's going, okay, what's going to be the best for them? And and if you get to a certain point with these athletes, you can actually ask them and they're going to tell you what they need the most. So I think that that's a really important shift we're seeing in the field is allow like giving some ownership to these kids and helping them guide themselves because ultimately they're going to need those skills. And so you want to be preparing them, not just for playing the collegiate level, maybe they make it a professional level, but a lot of kids get out of sports and they have no idea what to do because they've just been kind of basically ordered, Hey, do this, do this, do this, do this. So we want to build 
some of their ownership into this. So I think what Joey's talking about is really a great way that that develops. So I just wanted to. You can keep that. Because I think this next one is going to be a little bit of a soapbox Uh-oh. for Joey. So I'll just have. Oh yeah, I'll just hold on. I'll just I'll just hold on to this. I'll just. Um, maybe not. I don't know. But um, so my next question is, how how do you think about? Let me start with this. There's there's obviously been such a shift mm-hmm. in the last couple of decades towards specializing in in sport, and so. You used to be <laughs> you, you you used to be able to play so many sports, yeah, and uh, you know be in three or even four, and and do well at them as well, and and so obviously that shift has been more towards every sport being year round, yeah. Um, how do you guys think about? I have two questions, and try to answer the question. How do you guys think about that? How should we think about that? And then two, my question is, how has that negatively affected our kids these days? Because I think the the positives are just are there. Like we just have some better athletes because they've specialized, but there has been some negative effects too. So how should we think about sports specific training? Do we like it? Do we not like it? Whatever. And then how has it negatively affected them? Yeah. Um, I So I'll, I want to flip them just because I think it's easier. My brain is thinking about it. Let's start with how it's negatively yeah. affected them first. Um, I'll allow can, it. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> um, so, you know, I can only speak to the, the athletes that I've worked with, but I think that they're fairly representative of what's happening in a lot of youth sports. So, yeah, you, you, <laughs> You've got kids that are in ninth grade and they can windmill dunk, but they can't do a push up. They can't do a cartwheel. Uh, they can't jump rope. Like, so you, it just starts to make you think, like, okay, you know, what what is the price that you're paying for specialization? Um, and you're also getting like a crazy increase in overuse injuries. Um, and you're seeing that across the board. But like, I think baseball is a super easy one to look at. Um, but also basketball with jumper's knee and Achilles tendonitis and stuff like this. I mean, especially basketball, like these kids are literally playing all year long. Like they can have three, four, five games uh, in a weekend um, and it, it just doesn't relent. So how, how I'm seeing that negatively affect them is their general athleticism is going down. Yes, they're becoming extremely good specialists and in basketball, especially like you can see a lot of athleticism expressed just by them playing the game because of the nature of the sport. It's very creative. It's very fluid, but they can't throw a football very well. They can't throw a baseball. They can't do a cartwheel. They can't do There's just some basic qualities that I think kids are starting to miss out on. There's less time for free play. There's less time for non-structured play. Um, and again, those are directly reflecting these kids' ability to be adaptable and problem solve inside their sport and outside their sport. So their adaptability, their durability is going down. Um, that's my perception. That's what I'm seeing with the kids that I have. Um, so how do you advise in that then? Yeah. And so that, I mean, I think seeing that was like one of the, you know, cause kind of like Joey, like I used to be very, very structured. Like I was like, I love the weight room. Everybody's gonna love the weight room. We're going to do all this strength progression started working with these kids and seeing like, my God, they can't do a lot of this stuff, really, really basic stuff. Um, and that's when it started getting me down this rabbit hole of like more, and we maybe touch on this later, but ecological dynamics, constraints, led approach, basically you being a problem setter, 
um, and having these kids solve problems. So by doing that, that gives you a lot more freedom in that hour you have with them to encourage them to develop some of these qualities. Maybe they're missing um, with their, you know, super specialized, uh, you know, basketball only regime. So, you know, I've kind of changed my role with a lot of these kids. Again, they think I'm going, they're going to me for strength and conditioning. We spend 20 minutes, 15 minutes on strength and conditioning at the end. And a lot of the beginning is working on building back some of these qualities. I think that they're really, they're missing. I mean, when, you know, we were growing up, we'd, we'd play in the neighborhood with a bunch of our friends. We'd play football, we'd play soccer, whatever. And I just, you don't see that happening nearly as much. Either they're playing their sport or they're at home sitting on their iPad. Um, so now it's up to us as the strength and conditioning coaches. It's up to us as the sports coaches to, uh, create environments that encourage them to develop, uh, more of a well-rounded athletic background. And I think the heart that one of the biggest obstacles is getting the parents and getting the sports coaches to buy into that. They see like, Hey, Andrew, why are you having them play spike ball for 15 minutes in the warm up? <laughs> and what I did one time is I just set up my camera having these kids play. And I just started taking some still screenshots of what these, the positions, positions yeah. that these kids were hitting in these. And I was like, when are you seeing these positions being hit in the warm up? Never. But, but you're seeing like this, you know, crazy crossover, super low shin angle, like stuff like that happening in basketball. And at least they're getting a little bit of that in kind of this more game oriented warm up. So getting the buy-in from the parents and the coaches, I think is a big obstacle to like, why are these kids doing stuff that looks like unstructured play and it's like well because honestly that's what they need, they need at it. this point so okay yeah i'll, okay. I'll get off the soapbox now <laughs> joey what what how do you think about sports specific specializing in sports and i'm just going to change the question for you and say how then or what do you say to the parents in that situation that they're wanting to really the kid is wanting to specialize so hard. Yeah. Maybe the parents are, but what do you, how do you advise sure. on that? So first thing I'll say is like, as a athletic performance coach, strength and conditioning coach, whatever you want to call it, you only have so much control, right? Like the parents are going to do what they want to do and the kids are going to do what they want to do. Mm -hmm. And you can, you, you know, your goal is to try to have as much influence in that hour or two hours or three hours that they're seeing you in a week. Mm -hmm. um, and if I look at like, athletic performance coach, like that's my job is to improve overall athleticism, mm -hmm. right? Not basketball performance coach, not football performance coach. So the conversation that I'm having with these parents is my goal in working with your son or daughter is to improve overall athleticism and not just to have them be the best basketball player, the best football player that they can be. Because to what Andrew was saying, that's if they're, that's not my job, right. if they are just playing basketball, there's a lot of things that they're not hitting on a yearly basis because they're just playing basketball all year round. They're not doing 100 meter sprints all out. They're not doing, I mean, a lot of basketball, unless you're going for a breakaway ju jump is very... Uh, you mean dunk, right? Dunk, yeah. Sorry. Breakaway dunk <laughs> is very extensive from a plyometric standpoint, yeah. right? Like it's just very right. repetitive, kind of lower intensity versus... Yeah, like, so they're not like in basketball practice, they're not hitting max effort jumps like a high jumper would in track practice, right? So um, they're not doing cartwheels, they're not rolling, right? Like a gymnast would. So implementing things in a session that they maybe not don't hit in their sport mm -hmm. to improve overall 
athleticism. That's mm-hmm. the goal because that's going to make them better at basketball. Mm-hmm. It's going to make them better at football. And then when they get into those higher levels, right? You're a D1 athlete and you're going into NBA, NFL, whatever it is, then you can specialize a little bit more, mm-hmm. right? But even then, if you look at like a lot of some, a lot of these coaches, they're, they're still doing the basic stuff because that's what they need. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's kind of the conversation that I'm, I'm having with these parents is like, Hey, my, my job is and goal is to make your kid the best athlete that I possibly can. Right. And by doing so, we're going to hit a lot of things that they're not seeing in their sport. Um, and usually that allows, you know, creates decent buy-in with the parents. Right. Yeah. And then encouraging in our sessions, you know, as I establish the relationship with these kids, right. I'll use Philip for an example. Mm-hmm. Now, Philip, football, basketball, now he wants to run track. So it's like, sure. I'm encouraging these kids to, you know, as a mentor to play multiple sports, because then once they realize, Hey, I've, I've been a year of playing as a three sport athlete. Um, they see how that can play over and transfer over into their, their main sport that they want to do. Right. And like, I always use myself as an example, because these kids look up to you. It's like, yeah, I played football. That was my passion. That was my love, but I also wrestled and I also ran track. So it's like every one of those sports helped me become a better football player. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's just using your own, my own experience mm-hmm. with these kids and um, just having those kind of, conversations with the parents to allow them like, Hey, my job is to make you a better athlete and encourage multiple sports as much as possible. And if they don't want to do that, that's fine. Well, then we're going to hit those pieces in here that they're not hitting in their sport. Sure. Yeah. I think it's a hard thing to, to get, get kids to wrap their minds around the fact that to get better at basketball, it doesn't mean play more basketball. And that's, you know, some of that has to do with just a, a young mind, right? And not being able to grasp that concept. Um, but the most benefit that they'll find is just becoming the best athlete that they can be and sprinkling in the skill stuff yeah. on, on their own, right? I mean, look at, look at Tyree Kill. Tyree Kill just learned how to run actual routes this year as a receiver, right? I just listened to a podcast with him. He go, he just went, did a master's track meet last year and won, right? Mm -hmm. Crushed everyone. Right. So like that dude is, you talk about athlete, Mm -hmm. that guy can basically do anything. He can do flips. He can sprint. He can catch a football. He can throw a football, right? Like he's, you, you put him in any athletic environment. He's going to, he's going to crush it. Right. Um, so I just, you know, looking at that as an example, right? Yeah. He knows how to run routes, but like, is he a better route runner than, you know, Armari Cooper? Probably not, but he's so fast and explosive that he can get away with that because Mm -hmm. of his just obviously genetics, but just like his background in, you know, in college, he was a track athlete and a football player, right? And in high school, he probably did three, four sports, right? And that just helped him along the way into his career. So you guys have said uh, a few times multiple times sprinting, running, jumping, right? There are sports that don't have those things. And so do we do we still train people to sprint and run and jump and have that sort of uh, fiber type and tissue, even though I'm a swimmer or archer 
uh, of sorts. Had what to bring up the yeah. swimmers? Huh? <laughs> yeah, I think it's a really good question, Jen. I mean, I, I I would say that in general, like I think that those qualities sprint, let's just say sprinting and jumping, just to keep it simple. Maybe you could say throwing too, are really really important. You know, patterns. Uh, you know, if you look at just like in terms of like bang for the buck, like you go sprint, you're going to work most of the tissues in your body. Um, and, and so I think the idea behind that would be that you're going to, you know, you're going to increase like the motor pool that you can recruit from, which whether you're sprinting or not is probably a good thing. Um, like I think, yeah, like a, a swimmer is a really good example. So like, would you spend like a ton of time with them sprinting and jumping? Probably less time than a basketball player or a track athlete, obviously, but I think there's still important qualities. It's just, it's going to depend on how much are you going to spend time in that bucket. But I do think that those are important qualities. If you think about just as a, at a human level, not even at an athletic level, at a human level, like you want to have the capacity to express what human abilities are. And I think, you know, running, throwing, jumping are pretty foundational movements that I do think have the ability to uh, kind of attenuate and enhance other athletic qualities. But I do think you have to respect the population you're working with. A lot of swimmers, yeah, they don't manage gravity quite as well as a basketball player does. And they have a, probably a different body type. But I'm still going to have them run and do their thing. But it's going to be, you know, at a sustainable Less time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Joey, how about you? Uh, well, I can relate to this because I actually work with three swimmers. Okay. And uh, I do have them sprint and jump. To Andrew's point, not as much as I would have like my basketball or football players or track athletes. Um, but, you know, from a coordination standpoint and just being able to, you know, move their body from a locomotion mm-hmm. standpoint, like they are, you know, I, I have them sprint and like, looks like they've never done it in their life. Right. So I think from a, uh, you know, human movement. What is this yeah. land that yeah. I'm running on? <laughs> this, this, <laughs> this human, the, the human movement potential, like that's, know sprinting or running throwing jumping it's you know what andrew said it's like that's very important um and i think hitting that in a training session is just gonna again going back to the piece of like my job is to make them overall better athletes and if i make them a better athlete if i make them faster stronger more conditioned they're probably going to be better in the pool right Mm -hmm. so um yeah i won't hit it as much but we'll do a couple sprints and call it a day um but I, I do think it's important to just build elasticity in those, mm-hmm. you know, tissues, tissue, yeah. um, you know, regardless if they're an athlete or not. Right. So one thing that I what ta- say to a lot of people is your capacity to sprint on commands is more about your age than the wrinkles in gray hair. Right. Like mm-hmm. that is something that um, as we get older, we should continue to maintain is the ability to sprint, ability to jump. Um and if you're not doing that at a young age with your kids, even though they're swimmers, you're hurting them yeah. as they get older. Yeah. And it, I mean, it comes down to tissue, right? Like think of, try to think of a sport that doesn't include explosiveness. Yeah. It, it Like almost by definition, because sport, there's some sort of competitiveness, right? Uh, I can't really think of one that doesn't have, is that a, explosive yeah i mean you, i mean if we go back to sprinting right, right or not sprinting yeah, if we go back to swimming yeah you know coming off of the blocks in a pool 
right? right. Or jumping, jumping off, right? Like, or if I'm Every pushing stroke. off, pu- pushing off of the wall, yeah. right? Depending off their distance sprinter or mm-hmm. uh, a speed sprinter, right? Like that first push off is explosive, explosive, right? If you're a speed sprinter or a speed swimmer, well, then you could probably benefit from some more explosive work and sprinting and things Arguably like that. Arguably even more explosive. It's against yeah. water, yep. right? And so it's that drag is, yeah, it's just a, that, that tissue type. So um, how do you guys measure, what? how do you measure progress? Because you got, you got so many different athletes. Do you have the same metrics that you guys are looking at? How do you measure progress? Um, yeah, I just... By testing them, right? And we're we're testing. There's no for me. I don't have a structure of like, oh, we have to test every eight weeks, right? It's just based off of again understanding how my athletes are coming, how they're feeling when they're coming in. If they're full, really recovered and they're feeling really good, we're gonna test them, right? So um, for me, I will do like a, a standing hurdle jump, or and then an approach hurdle jump. Um, so those two metrics, mm-hmm. I'll do a ten yard fly um, a 10 yard acceleration and then a 40 yard dash. So Mm -hmm. those are some, those are some of my tests that I do. Obviously we'll do, I don't care so much about the lifts as much. Um, if my athletes enjoy maxing out, we might say, okay, well, let's max out your squat and see how you're doing. But I think that's less important than some of the other stuff. Oh yeah. Pro agility is another thing that I will test out too. I, I don't think it's a great, I used to think it was an awesome tool for testing change of direction, but like there's no other way to measure that. So, cause change of direction is if you look at someone changing direction on a football field it, or a basketball court, that looks a lot different than running a five ten five. Yeah. Right. But it just gives you a good idea, idea of like how quick can this athlete change direction? Mm-hmm. Right. And just gives us, you know, if they're really slow at it, well then that's an area of opportunity. Um, if they're slow at that, they're probably not good at change of direction in their sport. So, yeah, and there's so much skill in it. For sure, right? right? So, so I would say a 5-10-5 or pro agility, if you want to call it, 10-yard fly, 10-yard excel, uh, running or uh, pro turtle jump and hurdle jump are, or standing hurdle jump are my two, are my main metrics that I hit with athletes. Yeah. How do you measure progress, Walter? Um, I mean, I'll be honest, like the main, <laughs> the main thing i'm looking at the main kpi key performance indicator i'm looking at is it's the eye test like i i want to see them moving more fluidly i want to see them moving with more movement options um and like through that kind of ecological lens that's really i think more the focus is like is their ability to perceive and solve problems in the speed of the sport getting better um so to that effect like the ultimate you know kpi i'm looking at is like are they playing their sport better are they coming in and saying like, I'm averaging three points more a game. I'm getting two more rebounds again, like on average, like that's what I care about. And ultimately that's what their coaches care about. Now. I think it's interesting that like in the shuffle of things, coaches and parents and even athletes because of the coaches and parents get really hung up on more of the, in the gym testing. And I'm not bashing that stuff. I think it's great to get buy-in. I think it's great for the kids to perceive um, their progress more. So if we're talking like in gym, like what am I measuring? I'll do top speed on like a curve tread. This is really just more based on like, what do I have available to sure. me? Would yeah. I rather time them on the track? Hell yeah. yeah. But top speed on the tread. Um, we'll do RSI jumps on the jump mats, uh, which is like a reactive strength index. So if you don't know quickly, that's basically, it's like a ratio between ground contact time and flight time. So it's more kind of like 
it's trying to gather like you know how ex- uh, twitchy, elastic, bouncy are you? It's not so the people with high high RSIs aren't typically the people that jump the highest all out, but they're very quick and very those kids change direction well. So it's a it's a cool metric. Kids have a trouble kind of understanding like what is this? What is this two point two? What does that mean? Like so they don't really care. But I that's probably my favorite metric to look at. Uh, but approach vertical will do so like they'll do a full like run up and then hit the jump mat. Um, and we'll do a max hurdle hop too. Like they, the max hurdle hop, the kids like, cause everybody can just kind of see like, oh dang, this kid just hit 60 inches. Like that's really wild. Um, so the, the kids do like looking at those things. And I think again, that helps build like some emotional buy-in and kind of some competitiveness. But like for me, ultimately, like I'm looking at like, what is the, what is their fluidity looking like? Is that improving? Is their ability to have more options when I create, a um, a movement problem for them like do they have more things that they can do and then hopefully hearing like on the field on the court whatever like i feel like i'm playing better yeah. that's really what i care about and i know that's what joey cares about too but again it's this like never ending like i need to make sure that i can prove that to the coaches prove that to the parents prove that to the athletes themselves so it's a bit of a balance and i think having a little bit of both is is good mm-hmm. so man yeah go ahead one thing I'll say about just kind of testing out in the gym in general is I, I 100% agree with with Andrew here. Um, I think we get too caught up in it sometimes. Just because you test a high for, uh, a, a, a max f- vertical at 40 inches or you run a 4-4-40 doesn't necessarily mean that's going to transfer over to your sport, mm-hmm. right? Um, but going back to like emotional buy-in with these kids, it's like, they, a lot of them get excited about that. A lot of yeah. them get excited about, hey, I want to test my running hurdle jump today, or mm-hmm. I want to test my 40. I want to test that. And that's a good way to just continue to create buy-in so they see that they're getting better, yeah. right? And if you're doing the right things in a training session, those should get better and they should also be better in their sport as mm-hmm. well, right? So um, it's just more about just continuing to create buy-in and allowing the kids to to feel that they are improving because yeah. sometimes they can't you know, unless you're, you know, these elite level athletes can feel it a little bit more, but sometimes they can't really feel that, oh, well, is this training that I'm doing with Joey or Andrew, is it actually, yeah, I'm scoring three more points a game or I'm, you know, uh, running, whatever it is, I'm doing better in my sport, but they can't really feel it, right? They can't, mm-hmm. they don't really have an understanding of if it's actually working. We do as coaches, right? Like, yeah, you put in a ton of work in the last year. Yeah. That's why you're getting, getting better. But sometimes you need to give them some metrics that they can hit in the gym to see that show their progress. Yeah, sure. Andrew, what sports did you play growing up? So growing up and to this day, I, I really like a lot of sports. I was pretty mediocre at all of them, but I really love them. Honestly, basketball was probably my favorite, but being five, 10 and a half, um, and just not that good. That just really wasn't <laughs> in the cards <laughs> for me, but uh, baseball was my main sport. Okay. And then our school started, uh, rugby and I got into rugby and I absolutely loved rugby, but okay. unfortunately that started in my junior year. So, uh, but I did a little bit of track, a little bit of baseball, a little bit of rugby, boxing, uh, did jujitsu in college, um, okay. play golf casually. So just a lot of different stuff. And that, and that helped me appreciate, uh, being just generally athletic. There's not really a sport I can't pick up and play at a okay level, but I was never the, at a for sure mediocre. Level. Yeah. At a for sure, like a, yeah, <laughs> four to six out of 10 
for most things. So that's good. Except for hockey. I know from Minnesota, I can't Ice. skate. So sure. That's a problem. Okay. You are so, a pretty good disc golfer though right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you know what disc golf is, catch me out there. I'm good at that. <laughs> uh, the reason I ask is, is my next question is um, if you could go back, knowing what you know now, hmm. if you could go back and either do it differently or tell middle school Joey or Andrew how to do it differently now that you know this training side what would you what would you advise hmm. it's a great question I, I really I like that question I think more recently like I don't think there's anything that I would have told myself that would have changed you know I, I think because you were so stubborn because I was just, I was just, you know, I was just, You're okay. Just you know, I thought yeah. <laughs> I could have, I could have probably, you know, tried a little harder, done a couple more camps and gotten marginally better. But I think, you know, there's a certain point where you have to recognize that everybody's not always going to be amazingly gifted. And, and I got a lot out of sports that wasn't just playing it at yeah. the next level. I, I learned how to be on a team. I learned how to deal with failure. Uh, the amount of teams I didn't make was hilarious. And, and now it's hilarious. It was not hilarious then. Uh, destroyed me getting really good at failure yeah um but so so you know honestly like yes there's some things i would say to the coaches maybe that i think would help some of the kids myself included enjoy those practices more so i mm. guess i can build on that like track for example which i actually reflecting like probably could have been okay at track i'm pretty fast at least for a high school level but you know i so i ran the 100 and the 200 um you know they never helped people like unless you went in they're like i'm gonna do the jumps like they never really facilitated exploration at all mm -hmm. so i never even got to know if i'd be good at jumps uh so it'd be cool to see like the coaches like okay. invite a little bit more of like explore um and also maybe like the sprinters don't warm up with a three mile run in the beginning with everybody right, else yeah. so like right. and i think some of those paradigms have changed where it's just or same thing in baseball like the amount of like poles we had to run and it's just like but we only minute. sprint to the base. Like, why are we doing so much? So there's just like some more like structural changes that I think as the coaches seeing a little more problem solving in those things would have been awesome. But yeah, I don't think there's anything that I would have heard that would have changed. I wouldn't okay. be in the NBA if I heard something different. But, <laughs> but the, the coaching I think has come a long way. So yeah. I really want like, you know, cause I remember that. So now it's like, as, as a coach, I'm like, I want to make practice and I want to make the strength training, like engaging and fun yeah. for kids and get more out of it. All right, Joey. Uh, I was very stubborn in uh, high school, so what? Yeah. <laughs> so two words: yeah. chill out. Yeah, chill out. <laughs> um, I was. Those of you who know me um, that are listening to this, I was. I'm a very competitive person. Um, so I was. I look forward to playing as many sports as I possibly can. So from that aspect, I wouldn't change anything. Like I did not specialize in a sport, even though football was my true love. Like you know, before I got into high school, I did football, wrestling, baseball, and track, right? Like, cause I was able to manage all of them. So I tried to get my hands on as many sports as I possibly can. Cause I just love to play and, you know, love the competition and love to be with my friends. Um, but when I got more serious about it, I really fell in love with, and that's kind of why I'm in the strength conditioning field and a trainer is because I really fell in love with just like the training aspect of pre preparation for sports. And, um, I knew that was, I knew that this is what I wanted to do in middle school, right? Like eighth grade, like you can ask all my buddies in college, high school. Like I was always the weight room guy, like rallying everyone around to like 
get your asses in the gym. Like we have to do good this season, whatever it is. Right. And so I would, from that aspect, I would change a lot of like, I guess, and I, I only had so much say because I had strength coaches and, and, and other coaches that were, you know, the classic bigger, faster, stronger in high school. I think what I would change is I think I did way too much strength and conditioning and not enough of the stuff that we were talking about earlier, not enough of the sprinting, not enough of the jumping, not enough of like playing games. And I would say I probably wouldn't have to play that many games because I was playing sports all year round. So I was getting that stimulus there, but like I wasn't hitting enough of the sprinting, enough of the jumping, enough of the, you know, rhythmic fluidity movements, the crawling, the, the rolling, the things that are going to just improve, make me a better athlete. And, um, if I look at like my college career, you know, I felt like some, some years I got slower and less explosive because we were doing too much strength strength work and not enough of the, the other stuff to like what Andrew was saying, like, Hey, yeah, maybe we'll hit 20 minutes of strength work at the end. And the rest of the hour is, you know, the sprinting, the jumping, the movement fluidity stuff. And I was complete opposite end of the spectrum. Okay. We're going to do a couple sprints here and there, and then you're going to go hit, hit the weight room yeah. and you're going to do all the Get strength strong. work. Right? right. Which is great. Right. If you have a kid, if for me in high school, like, or in middle school, if I'm not doing 10 push ups, I need to do some of that. But like in eighth grade, I was benching 225 already. So it's like, yeah. that's a problem. You know, like I, there, yeah, that's strong. And that's strong enough. Like I should have been doing some other stuff. Um, so that's what I would change is like maybe the, the, off season training of what I was doing, but I just didn't know I was being told what to do. And to what you said earlier, like the strength conditioning realm has changed the last couple of decades of like what coaches are implementing and what they're doing. Um, and yeah, so I just, I just didn't know any better. And that, that wasn't my job at the time to know any better. Yeah. So, yeah. What, what have we not touched on that you guys are, are itching to, to educate about anything that we're around, around this, not, not in anything. I feel pretty good about it. Is there questions you feel like we need to dive into more, Joey? What I will say just kind of to, you know, if you're a, trainer, athletic performance coach, strength coach, whatever you call yourself and you're listening to this podcast and even the parents out there that have kids is like, allow your kids to play as many sports as you possibly can. Right. And as a coach, like I think your biggest piece, whether you're working with athletes, you're working with clients, like you have to do a really good job of knowing the people you're working with Mm -hmm. so you can create the right recipe for their success, right? Or the right prescription. If you want to look at, we've talked about how exercise is medicine, right? Like you can, you can do the wrong things for the people you're, you're working with and being able to understand, like really knowing, you know, the stress outside of the gym and what these kids are, or clients you're working with, what they're going through, like how much are they practicing? Are their coaches running them to the ground in practice? Are they just conditioning all day? Um, like, really understanding what's happening outside of the gym for them mm-hmm. is a huge piece to how effective your training plan is going to be and, and, and if they're going to get results. Yeah. I think as you know, for anybody listening to this, that maybe has kids that are going to sports and things like that. If you're, if you're looking to, to find somebody to guide 
your kids through maybe high school or something as far as strength and conditioning. Um, my advice is to, to not just settle with throwing them in the school program. Absolutely. Uh, I'm not, that is not a, that is not a generalized diss because I've, I've, I've worked in that like school system, strength and conditioning where their hands are tied, right? Um, their hands are tied. They can't do what you guys have been talking about. They can't make it play. They can't make it individualized. They can't make it, uh, you know, they're not really trying to make it sports specific necessarily, but they're, they're not being watched all the time and, and so yeah. on. So, so two things I want to say on that is don't just settle for throwing them into that. Um, find, find somebody outside of that, that can also help your kids just figure out how to be an athlete and their, yeah. their, their, their tissue, their mindset and, and all of that. Because I think we do a lot of kids wrong by just being like, Oh, my school has a free strength and conditioning program. Cool. Most often that is led by a gym teacher of sorts. And, um, again, I'm, uh, that's not across the board. There are some really good ones out there. Um, Minnetonka's got a good one, right? For sure. Minnetonka football's got a really good one. Eden Prairie's right? got a good one. Eden Prairie's got a good one. Right. So it, it just, but don't just settle for that. If, if you are wanting your, your kid to excel at some sports and, um, and then second, I would say to, to make sure that you do ask that person, like if you're looking to hire one of these dudes right here, um, know what their ethos is around that. If they're sold out on just getting kids really strong, then, you know, run away. Yeah. <laughs> right. Even though that's cool. Uh, that is not necessarily what's needed for, um, for athleticism. So for sure. And I think the, the other piece that I think parents and people don't understand is like the things that these kids are getting outside of just getting stronger, getting faster, right. Is like, you know, the way I look at it is like, I want to be a mentor to these kids. I want to make them better men and women in the world, right? Like I want them to be good people. And, um, I think we have so much influence as, as coaches, whether you're a strength and conditioning coach or you're a basketball coach and, and we, for, we get lost in the training sometimes that we forget to be just role models and, and, and mentors. And, and sometimes that means like, Hey, my kid had a bad day. He got yelled at at school and like, he just needs to talk. Right. Yeah, and we need so to just let it out and maybe not do something super intense right away. So we can get some buy-in and just like be a friend and be a big brother to these kids. Yeah, right. For sure. I don't know if Andrew, you want to touch on anything about that? Oh, I mean, I, I think that you guys both really covered the bases there. You know, I think the one thing that I would add is that, you know, also for the parents listening is like the coaches and like the organizations, like we spoke about the specialization earlier, like they're going to make it seem like it's imperative that you specialize right away. And if you're not in every AAU league, like your kid's going to fall behind, like they're not going to, they're not going to, they're not going to, and they're going to get less overuse injuries and they're going to be happier and they're going to be more well-adjusted if you let them play a couple sports or have some time away from their sport. And, and it will really do them a lot. That's different than when Joey and I grew up and that wasn't the case. And like, you could play a lot of diverse sports. It's different now. So don't feel like you always have to do every single league. Like 
let your kids be kids too. And that also will improve their ability to perform. And I know that that's, that seems counterintuitive, but it, it really is the truth. So that's the one thing that I would add. Thank you. There, yeah, oh, are you? Okay. <laughs> Get in there, Joey. Sorry, I go on soapboxes here. Uh, parents, your job is to be a parent, right? And I'm not a parent yet, but I, I hope to be soon. Um, but like your job is not to be their coach, right? Like your job is to be a father and mother to them and not also be their coach, right? Like let, the, let their, let their football, basketball coach, their trainer coach them, right? You just, you just be their parent. That's a good ad. Sorry. Uh, no, that's. <laughs> Uh, I, I thank you, both of you. I appreciate you guys coming on. One of the things that I want so badly for this podcast is to just educate our, our community and beyond around, uh, fitness and health and body. And so, and, and this is a huge piece of it is, is starting young and, and athleticism and things like that. So, um, yeah. So thank you guys both for dropping your knowledge. And, uh, again, if you go, guys want to, get in touch with Bolter here. The Vital Pursuit is his uh, company. And then you probably see Joey here more than more than not. But um, what is your Instagram? JC? No. My name. Your name. Go to my name. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Go to my name or catch yeah. me here at the gym. Okay. All right. Thank you guys for listening.